Alright everybody, here we go. It's the Season 1 Recap episode. As I mentioned at the end of uh, Mike's story last week, kind of took those first 10 episodes and created a season. We're getting ready to start Season 2, but in the spirit of some of my favorite comedy shows like a Seinfeld or The Office, uh, I'm going to go ahead and recap Season 1 with some snippets of things that I felt like really spoke to me and the folks who gave me some feedback. I got to tell you, doing this season one recap is quite a bit more work than I thought, but listening to the episodes back really reminded me of how much I learned and how much I certainly enjoyed talking to everyone that jumped on. I uh, hope you enjoyed listening. So here's a recap. Uh, Oscar Meyer, the official hot dog of the Miami Hamilton Harriers. That's, that's my life vest in, yeah, right. in, in the open water. <laughs> no, that's my dude. That's, what I'm that's gonna my, talk my to. boy. Uh, I noticed you, you pulled up in your, in your truck. You're working on a patty we were talking about before the show began. Yeah, I'm the only person in the world that uses a, a Lexus RX 300 <laughs> to tow a trailer on a regular basis. It's fantastic. But thank you for calling it a truck. That's great, yeah. <laughs> I can remember coming home from water polo practices and Maddie and Jenna flying around the corner, Dad's home in Chayad. That's how Jenna would say yeah. Chad. Chayad, and they'd give me hugs or whatever. And, and then Molly would come down and say hi, and now... No, still Molly. Molly still comes and says hi. You know what I mean? Yeah. She's happy to see me. It's, yeah. it's like, you know, it, it, nothing can be more true. Yeah. Well, there's two things. Never trust a person who doesn't like dogs. Amen. And be the person your dog thinks you are. Yeah. Enneagram is a personality test unlike any other personality test because it focuses on your motivations and your fears as a person rather than your actions. One of my coaches kind of introduced it to us on our dance team. Everybody took it, and we all know each other's types. And it's there's nine types. I am type three, the achiever, if any of you know about that. Dad, you're a... I'm a nine. The peacemaker, yeah. Um, and it really helped us as a team focus in on our dynamic better. Um, one of my really good friends is um, a type one, and I know how she's going to react when she's stressed out or if she's had a bad day. And because I know more about her type, I know why she's feeling that way. And I know how I can comfort her. It's definitely helped a lot with leadership. I see myself as more of a leader on my team. So it's helped me kind of uplift everyone as well. It definitely helps with team dynamic and getting to know each other better. What are the nine? Do you have this? Yeah, I do. I have it memorized. <laughs> so one is the perfectionist. Um, two is the caregiver or the helper. They're very generous. Three is the achiever. Four is the individualist. Five is the investigator. Six is the loyalist. Seven is the enthusiast. They're pretty much the cheerleaders. Eights are the challengers and nines are the peacemakers. You know, I, I joke around with people, but I think there's, there's a hint of truth to it that, you know, referees were all a little nuts in the first place to, to go out there and just to subject ourselves to, you know, both coaches yelling at you and, and, you know, you're out there and you're, you know, to quote the baseball term, since we have our baseball cards, uh, you know, you're just trying to call balls and strikes and, uh, you know, do a good job. It's bizarre. It, it's definitely, it's considered for sure the Super Bowl of 
age group water polo, I would say. Mm-hmm. All the, the club teams are working towards a, a junior Olympics. I mean, and then the, it, it resets, right? The, the season of USA water polo or age group resets after JOs and they go into uh, the, the next phase and they work towards the next JOs. Uh, but you're right because uh, for so many referees in Southern California and in California in general, JOs is just a slightly longer tournament than what they're used to. It's not anything, you know what I mean? But for somebody else coming from another part of the country, it is, it's like main event. We don't get this kind of action ever. Right. So yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a great point. It's weird being at the same table with these people that a year ago I kind of looked up at like, Oh man, those, those people, it's just, it's weird. Every once in a while, I'll step back and I'll kind of look at it like, what the? I'm just Sam Meister. What do you care? What I? When you're the superintendent of this pretty big school district, like, what do you? What are you texting me for? Like, what do I have to offer? Right. And um, so it's you know I I I want to make sure that I I remain I I keep I have a sense of you know humility, but also I don't want to pass up a chance to say. No, this is, you know, the teacher voice is important here and I'm going to push back when it's appropriate to push back. Nice. But again, it's, I feel like I, I could see myself getting lost in that and then starting to have this air about me. And so, I don't know, trying to stay humble and also trying to, you know, advocate for things when they're appropriate. And mm-hmm. so I think the most important thing that I've learned in the last year is, uh, the importance of having a good team around you. I mean, like I was saying with, with Linnea in my personal life, but the number of people that I depend on is, is huge. So you you can't do it by yourself. So you got to surround yourself with good people and then, then you've got to listen to them Mm -hmm. and, you know, take their advice and give them a voice and give them a decision making an opportunity to be a part of the decision making. So, I think the secret to uh, any of that is it is hard. It is hard work, but it's it's something you got to be willing to put in the time and effort to to do. I'm very very fortunate that my wife played polo too, so she gets it. She gets that it's a you know I don't want to say it's a thankless job or a thankless sport, but I mean it's not your basketball, your football, your you know major money sports. But she played club at Michigan State, and every weekend when they played, they were I mean they were gone every weekend through the, throughout their season. So she gets like travel's a part of it, that being away is part of it. So working with, uh, at the time, I think Jim, and then uh, eventually Takeshi and now Levon in that, that role, I was given a lot of good opportunities. And when I got those opportunities, my wife said, go for it. How long are you going to play, man? Well, that's one of the benefits <laughs> of married to a wife who kind of grew up in the water polo world too. Uh-huh. She knows this is a huge hobby of mine. Uh, I, I'd say I'm going to play until either the team falls apart or my body shuts down, but I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. So nice. It's a great pastime. Even when players are like a little bit injured, they might come and just swim laps, and then they'll referee. Mm-hmm. So they still get that connectivity with the team. We've only lost a couple to my body's quote-unquote worn out. I can't play anymore. You know, it's actually it's kind of it's difficult because my job as a lawyer, I'm – I'm to advocate for a side. I advocate for my client. I'm trying to do what's right for them. When you're on deck, you're not advocating for anybody. You're, you're up there. You know, you're, you're saying who's cheating, who's not, essentially. So uh, from that 
point, it, it's kind of tough, but I, th I think it would, uh, I would say, I would say it, it's caused me to open my mind up. Um, it, and maybe water polo has actually played a little bit more of an influence on my day job because I'm able to see both sides. So yeah, I have someone yelling at me over here. Okay, coach. Okay. I, I hear what you're saying. Okay. I will look for that and then transfer that to my day job. I had my client say, okay, well, look, I know you think you've been wrong with X, Y, and Z, but look over here, this is what you did wrong, and this is how they're pointing it out. So um, I think that's probably the big thing, just keeping an open mind on things. Well, one of the things that st sticks out to me when I go to a tournament, uh, international tournament, is the feeling of I am representing the United States. Mm -hmm. It's just it's just an overwhelming honor for me to to stand in between two different countries who are playing and my name gets called out as the referee from let's say United States they they usually call out the country and they say hey and this is the referee um that feeling is just something that i can't uh, it's just such a special feeling for me and i'm just so proud um, I would say that is the most uh, joy that I get. And also um, the different styles of water polo, the different styles of coaching. Um, in the United States, I, I would say that we, we're just used to a specific type of play and players. That we all usually, if you look at it, if you step back, you kind of look at it, and we usually play the same style, you know. Sure. <laughs> but when you, get, when you get out, it's just you see so many unorthodox plays and – and talent and you're just like whoa okay that's that's interesting <laughs> and i see that with swimming too like i've got assistant coaches that really you know one of my assistant coaches is he coached at uc you know for 10 years like he's way more on paper way more qualified than i am but i you know technically he's my assistant coach and so i feel like my view of leadership has changed from i'm the one in charge and i'm making the decisions to okay, I'm, I'm the one that's technically steering the ship and I'm not going to shy away from making those hard decisions when, when I need to, but man, I need good people around me and uh, I'm okay not being the smartest person in the room. I want to surround myself with people who are smarter than me. Ah, it's good uh, stuff. Yeah. How has refereeing influenced your leadership or how has your leadership influenced your referee? That's a good question. I think that one of some of the best advice I got, and I'm sure it was you who told me when I first started refereeing, was that you don't want to be the center of attention. Like your the referee, if people are paying attention to the referee, it's probably not a good game. Hmm. There's probably a reason. Most people aren't thinking, "What a fantastic call, man! He had great patience on that on that call. <laughs> well done, referee." When we have when the attention's on us, it's when, man, he he blew that one gosh, he's really inserting himself when he really should just let them, just let him play. You know what I mean? Right. And so I think the the best games are the ones that, that the attention's not on me. So I guess going back to your question, leaders, I think what I've learned about leadership is not necessarily always being the guy in front who's got all the attention. Sometimes it's choosing what you want the attention to be on and then working really hard to make sure it stays there. Um, the biggest reward is truly just representing your country. It is, it is cool to be there as a USA referee. Now, uh, that also kind of comes with challenges, though, too, in that, like, you are expected to be the USA referee. And, you know, they expect that USA water polo referees know their stuff. 
Yes, without a doubt. The scariest for me was when Croatia came into town uh, before the 2012 Olympics. And I was asked to ref. Um, and in 2012, I was still, uh, I was a collegiate referee, but I was still trying to come up through the ranks, collegiate ranks. Uh, I was doing MPSF at the time, but I wouldn't say I was, um, you know, one of the referees who were doing, the, you know, the main games or the, the top level games in MPSF. So I was still trying to get my, I was still getting my feet wet, but I was asked to do Croatia men versus United States men at the Rose Bowl, which is my hometown of Pasadena, in front of 2,000 fans. <laughs> so not only was, so the stadium of Rose Bowl was filled, but they built more uh, stands and behind it. And then they also built on the other side as well, which they hadn't, but there's never any seats there, but they built seats. So this place was jam packed right before the Olympics. So I'm, I'm pretty terrified. I'm pretty nervous. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty confident, but not only, you know, I, I was pretty confident in that I would be able to whistle a decent game that is a fair game. And that's always a challenge, right? I think, you know, when when teams, whether we travel to another country or when a team travels to us, there's always this political kind of game, right? Of you know, you're they think that us as American referees might not call a fair game, but you are trying to call a fair game. But you have to realize and acknowledge that there is that that perception out there that you are not going to be calling a fair game, and. Um, but I was pretty I was pretty certain that I could balance that and call a decent game. And uh, to me, that's why baseball has always been the most beautiful sport to announce. Um, terrifying at times because you do there's that bit of of self-consciousness that you get where I you know one of the things that I, I learned from from Joe and Marty and listening to them is that, dead air what most people would call dead air is actually okay mm. in in a baseball game. Let people soak up. The ambient noise, let them hear the guy selling peanuts, you know, let them hear the crowd go wild after a certain hit. Um, but there is that moment of self-doubt when you're calling it, like, dang, should I be saying something here? Like, should, should I be talking about something? Um, so one of the things I think I've gotten comfortable with over time in announcing baseball games is every now and then just just let the air speak for itself. And uh, and that's that's kind of my my diatribe on, on announcing <laughs> baseball. I think there's always room to improve. I think in, uh, until you are calling every world championship or calling every Olympics or whatever, there's still room to improve. And, and I think that drives me uh, uh, definitely. I rode my bike through Forest Park the other day just in one of my travels and everything that seemed so big and so spread out took me about three minutes to cycle through and mom's house and yeah. her yard that, uh, you know, we'd play endless hours of sandlot ball and yeah. it's like wow i remember it used to be a challenge to hit the ball over the shrubs and now it'd be like a check swing you know <laughs> it's like you know the, the things that were once your everest are now so small what did the scouting really instill in you in terms of leadership so um my dad was an eagle scout he brought us into the scouting world he introduced everything to us wow. um so you kind of put that up there as that was already driving me towards being a good leader because he already is. So, but scouting, you know, you got to learn how to manage things. Um, your time, manage your energy, manage, you know, be very organized. So prioritize your day. 
and scouting helped me with that a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, be, having to play water polo, go on water polo trips every weekend, yet go to scouting events and scouting meetings during the week, once a week, and then being able to still advance, advance, advance as well as go to school. You just it's tough to do that. So that's one key attribute. Um, also, you know, scouting brings together twenty five immature boys i mean we're all and girls too now but we're all just wringing our necks we're fighting and stuff (laughs) like that you have to learn how to be the better example and step up Hmm. you know you have to learn how to organize if you're going to clean up a field how are you going to take care of it what's the things that you have to do you know get the ringleaders to help out and then everyone else will follow um and you got to be motivated so at 14 15 16 17 is when i finally got it you get pulled into 15 different directions. Mm. And if you don't have something that it's great to try everything, it really is. But at one point in time, you got to stop trying everything and stick to like two or three things. Okay. Uh, when you're getting to like the teenage years or the young teens years, because you're just not going to realize what you like. You just think I'm just going to do everything, which just has some benefit. It comes down to treat people like you'd want to be treated. Mm. And everybody knows, it's like everybody knows that car salesman. Everybody knows that attorney. Everybody knows that realtor. Everybody knows a slimy guy. Uh, at the end of the day, I got to respect myself. I got to respect the guy looking back at me in the mirror the next day. Um, and I just think that's more of my upbringing and more of who I am than what I do. But again, what I tell people is who I am is what I do and what I do is who I am. And you get me. Wow. And I've tried to be consistent, whether I'm the guy cutting grass, playing wiffle ball in the cul-de-sac, the guy on the ball field. And you've seen the good, bad, and the ugly of that guy. Yeah. And I tell people I'm not perfect. I try yeah. to keep a lot of juggling balls up in the air and I'm going to drop one. And I hope I don't drop a big one. And I hope I don't drop one that, that means something. You know, I hope there's something I don't drop that, that I can't fix. But yeah, I mean, there's... Um, I, I do hold myself to a pretty high standard, but that's just personally and the professional just kind of rolls out of that. So back in the coaching days, going way, way back here, way you back. used to jump on deck. Yes. And you would have the whistle. Talk a little bit about those leg drills you would do. I'm pretty sure those those uh, high school boys hated me because I always would do, I'd have a field day, one arm up and having them do those drills. Um, but yeah, I just remember... I remember going to those tournaments um, and playing hacky sack with the boys in between the games. and Murder. The game was murder. The game was murder. And they were always so nice to me. Always had kind of fun messing around with me and playing. It, it was a lot of fun being able to be on the deck and watch you, my dad, coach. And I, lo- I love the sport. It is such a fun sport to go to. I I would some I made one of my friends come with me one time and they never heard of it or seen it and then they went and they were all in after they're like this is awesome this is so cool it, it was just always really fun to be on the deck I love the sport but water polo also has such a great culture and environment around it like I feel like for the most part I mean maybe at more intense tournaments it's different but for the most part everybody's very supportive of each other it's a good environment to be in it can be really stressful but it's also a lot of fun like everybody in there loves water polo and that's what I really like about it that's what I love going to games and tournaments for so these are these are greyhounds you're you're goldie was not right goldie wasn't but we have now you because i don't know that you had a a greyhound when i was there i actually we didn't i actually asked you when we applied to adopt a greyhound i needed three references that were not family members and i asked you because you lived with us sure you knew how we regarded our dogs and i said hey man would you mind you know if i put you down as a reference so you were you were one of the three 
that, that vouched for us. And that's how we adopted Wally back in 2009. Yeah, 2009. What's the name of the adoption group? Group. It is the Greyhound Adoption of Greater Cincinnati. Okay. G-A-G-C. A referee is only good as the games that they've done and that they've learned something from. If you only did 10 games, that means you've only seen maybe 100 scenarios. If you did 90 games, you just saw a thousand scenarios of right. what can happen right. in every level. And so I think you just have to mentally prepare your mind that I've seen that before. I know. So it's the anticipation of a five meter. Sure. I've seen it. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. And you know when to call it right on. or how to call it. And, you know, you're, you're trying to represent yourself. You're trying to represent USA water polo. You want to do a good job. And all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, <laughs> what is going on here? It might be like a level of physicality you're not used to. And, you know, you got to flip that switch and engage and get in that game. And sometimes it's tough, but, you know, you got to just sometimes take a deep breath and say, wait a minute, I've been here. I know what I'm doing. Just get in there and get after it. It's it's honestly the, the question I get all the time is because I have to stand up there and I'm just asking people for money. <laughs> and, um, you know, we we go with the big ask. We our our goal right now is to build the the Hope Center, which will be an accessible indoor facility, basketball courts for Special Olympics, things like that. And I stand in front of a crowd and essentially ask, anybody want to make it happen right now? You want to? Anybody want to write that million dollar check and let's get it done? Right. Um, nobody's yet taken us up on that offer, but it doesn't bother me asking for it because. I believe so much in what's happening there. I believe so much in the legacy that that's been created for Joe. And, and at the end of the day, um, if you think you understand athletics, I challenge you when things get back to normal, go down on a Saturday morning, sit in the grandstands and watch a game. Just sit there, take it all in. It will absolutely bring you to tears it'll change your life. They're just so good. I mean, you go to their practice. I, great story. I watched Maggie Steffens at one practice make a pass that I was like, why did she do that? Like it was a pass that you thought would have been dry, but she put it wet and it was bad. Like it was, it, it was like, why did she make that pass right there? And then what you saw was based on her player, her teammate going to grab that ball. She made a move. The defense shifted. She knew they were going to shift, and so she grabbed and came back, looked like she was going to release and move forward and, and went and got the ball and scored. And she did it, and I turned to Adam Krikorian, and I said, did she just do that on purpose? <laughs> and he goes, yeah, she does that. Like, it was, wow. it was like legitimately four steps ahead. Um, wow. So, I mean, and obviously she's one of the best players in the world. All our, all our women are. I can count the number of specific plays or games that I – vividly remember where something happened that I liked or I didn't like I lost track of the times I've had with refs just having a good time you know talking just chilling out and doing stuff like that to me that's that's the best part of it this is this is what I'm going to segue because you're asking me one question I'm giving you three answers wherever wherever you are in life you can look at a very thin line and if anywhere along that line something severed it you'd be in a different spot so you sure. never know the decisions you make years ago how they're going to manifest you know, you start playing water polo as a kid and you start playing at the college club level or the division level or whatever level and you, you get so ingrained in it, eventually you realize that the sport of water polo actually helps your other parts of your life. 
because mm. it's the connections you make. So a network of people that maybe help you find a job. It's the strength of being a coach that is able to lead a team or maybe even a captain of a team helps you in a work project at work because you're able to lead, use those things. So they they can play off each other really, really well. I think if people can realize that it's like we've talked about, it's not about winning and losing. It's about what you're taking away from here to help over here, raising a family, you know, or doing another activity. They can play off, off each other really well. Not every sport can do that. This is a team sport. It's very a high level of contact. It's a unique sport. Um, there's a lot of different variations that can happen. Uh, it's kind of like the stock market. It changes every day. You, you're seeing another iteration. It's not going to be exactly the same. Mm. How, how are you going to manage that as a coach on the defensive end or even on the offensive end? How are you going to manage that? And so um, it can strengthen you for sure. And I think that's the biggest value you can take away is how it's helped everything else in my life. There you go. There you go. I, I will. That's what the listeners are looking for. I do it for the listeners. No, my. Uh, I'd love to take any credit for it, but my wife uh, taught me this years ago that everybody has an emotional bank account. Whether or not you want to acknowledge it, you do. Um, and people make deposits and people make withdrawals to your bank account. You know, you're supposed to meet someone for dinner and they don't show up. That's a big withdrawal. You know, and maybe you think twice about inviting that person to dinner if they didn't show up. Right. At the same time, you go out of your way to do things to help people you're making a deposit. So I think that that's part of this balance uh, with life, with officiating especially, is that if you're constantly gone, you're constantly making withdrawals. You are not, you don't have an opportunity to make any um, deposits. So maximizing the time when you're around to make deposits into someone's emotional bank account and also understanding when the account is running low that you can't keep making withdrawals. Um, Mm. You need to spend a little bit more time at home um, you need to spend a little bit more time at home because as much as we all love water polo, it's not as great as your family. To steal one of your words you used ages ago, it's a watershed moment when you realize you start viewing your parents as somebody vulnerable, as somebody maybe feeble that mm-hmm. used to be a rock, that yeah. used to be bigger than life. And it's like, shit, dad was 75. And all of a sudden I viewed him as there's my dad. He's an old man versus, oh, that's my old man. Uh, you know, it's like, oh my God, you know, father time, it doesn't spare any of us. There's some people that would give up anything to have their dad back in any capacity, even if he's yelling at him, even if there's a divorce, even if there's friction, because to have that one last conversation, and, I, and I've got that, I've got that. So between the speaking engagements, the writing, um, I, I selfishly, I'd give it all up just to have my dad back. But knowing that that's not the case now, um, this is my way of having him back. I have a lot of admiration for water polo. It's been in it's been in a part of my life, uh, my whole life. You know, I've been going to games and tournaments since I before I could walk and talk. You know, some of my favorite memories with water polo are when I got to go to the Junior Olympic qualifiers with you at Indiana University. Um, the Packer Classic Tournament every year. That's always really fun. Um, and when we went up to Michigan State, I don't even remember what that tournament was, but it was. I just remember having so much fun with you. It's hard sometimes with you gone. You know, I've kind of learned how to keep myself busy, but ultimately I know that you're doing what you love and I want you to still be able to do that. And it's, it is a ri- reminder to me for when I'm older, that I still need to make time for myself and I need to do things that I love. All 
Coolest Halloween costume you've ever worn? Uh, I was recently uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, in college, and I'll, I'll give you a second one. Running of the Bulls in college. So my buddy bought a bull outfit, and we were all dressed up as in the white with the red bandana. <laughs> and like, uh, what city is that? Uh, is it in Spain? Pamplona. Is it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we would be charging down Court Street with a bull chasing us. About six guys running and this bull oh. running us over. It was hilarious. So oh, OU Halloweens are as, yeah. as legit as I've heard. They are. I think they've become more tame. But um, it's a lot of fun. Just be safe when you go down there. Know somebody. Um, <laughs> have a buddy. Have a buddy. You've got treats for Emily's soccer team tonight. Do you go with Capri Suns, juice boxes, or do you just throw caution to the wind and break out the sodas? Wow. Is this Emily at 15 or Emily at 9? Nine? 9. 9, probably the Capri Suns. Like clear or cherry or what? Probably the variety pack we could pick okay. up at Sam's or Costco. Okay. Yeah. I used... For us, it was the little hugs, you know, after baseball oh, games. Hugs. We had hugs. Oh, hugs. Oh, my there. God. That was sugar, straight sugar. <sighs> Never tasted better when you peeled off that little foil. I do remember the foil. Oh, yeah. And occasionally you wouldn't get it all and you'd, you'd get some in your mouth and like yeah. bite down on, on a yeah. filling and send a shockwave <laughs> through your jaw. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Talking again, connecting back to sports. Yeah. That, that was that was the, that was the go-to for the the dugout in the little league for sure. Yeah, man. Would you hire Tom Izzo or Mike Shashevsky to coach your men's basketball team? Tom Izzo. There, that's not even a question. It's not. It's not. I was trying to give the little, you know, <laughs> little bit green thing in for you. Softball. Yeah, softball. Green. What's your favorite power tool in your garage? You talked about being a mechanic. Favorite power tool. I just got a Makita XDT16, I think it is. It's the newest uh, impact uh, impact wrench. Uh, and I've been just going to town. I, I love that thing. My goodness. Um, that's my new favorite tool for sure. Dig it. Uh, romantic walks on the beach, John, or beers by the pool? Beers by the pool. Greatest? Well, is my wife with me? <laughs> yes. Uh, sure, your wife is with you. Okay, well... They're probably beers by the pool. Who would play you in a biopic of your life? Millie Bobby Brown. If you can have dinner with one person in history, whom would you choose? Oh, that's a good question. Probably one of the one of the guys from the Bible, like uh, like Peter, one of one of Jesus's disciples. Especially Peter, because he's kind of such a screw up that uh, it'd be fun to like. What were you thinking, dude? <laughs> but he's also, you know, I mean, obviously it's. It's Peter, so I'm, you know. So you're on the road a lot? I am. Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, rate your ability to operate the waffle maker. Because I'm, I'm, I'm at about a 2. I'm good. You're, so you're I, I would good? say I'm an 8.3. Okay. Um, because of the, the key to the the Hampton Garden Inn, or the, the Hampton Inn and Hilton Garden Inn, like waffle maker, is don't wait for the beep. Right, you you can't wait for the the loud piercing okay. Okay. noise to go off. You have to predict when that is going to happen, and in your mind, you got to flip it and extract the waffle about seventeen seconds before that's going to happen. All right, there you have it. Season one highlights in about thirty minutes. I hope that was fun for you guys to listen to. If you like what you heard and you think it represents what we're doing here, do me a favor. How about you pass that episode on to a friend and tell them to give us a listen or a follow as we get ready for season two. 
Should have that season two preview out next week. Until next time, y'all, be good to the refs.